We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we are going to discuss one of the always fun questions when the dust starts to settle on a roster, and that's who starts. That's something that last season, guys, we didn't really... We knew, right? We had we knew that Schroeder, especially once we started getting reports that Schroeder wanted to start, was going to start. We knew that Mark was probably going to start at the five, right? We kind of knew what that that was going to look like. Now it's LeBron, AD, Russell Westbrook, and then some question marks, starting with some rumblings about Anthony Davis playing the five, which is always something that he's been reticent to do in the past. And so I want to start with you, Mike, on on this is I've always wondered the reasons why he's reticent to do that, if that's something that he'd be willing to do going forward. And just your general thoughts, because I've always had kind of worries about, like, can he withstand 82 games of banging with Jonas Valanciunas and Steven Adams and uh, DeAndre Ayton and all of these really big guys? So take that in whatever direction that you'd like. But yeah, 88 the five. Is that a possibility? I still I still think that it's most likely they start the game with the traditional center, whether it's Mark or Dwight in certain circumstances. And I would say Mark would be the best solution just for the spacing and the shooting. And I do think AD could do it. I just don't know if I see the need to it if you're getting that additional shooting uh, from from the five spot. And like I know that that was part of the thing with Russ coming in and they had had we had heard some reports at least about ad playing the five more but ad played the five a lot two seasons ago and often it was you know the majority of it was closing games but he also the second stint that he would come in a lot of times he was playing the five uh, in the second unit for certain segments of this and that when you have both mark and dwight in the roster even that might seem a little bit less likely but you could also just play those guys a little bit fewer minutes and have ad play more as the game goes on at the five but it, the whole starting him there, I just everything that we've heard for the last several years, I, I think suggests otherwise. And I don't we've talked about this before, too, guys. I don't mind somebody else coming in and just doing some of the banging 
for a couple of minutes, setting a little bit of a tone, you know, letting AD get into the game. And then as it goes on, have him play more there if needed. Because we also should remember that they have plenty of success with him playing the four um, with certain lineups, depending on who the center is. So I, I would start there and just say I don't think that him as the full-time five is necessary or even for sure a good thing. This is more of a rotation question to me, right? And I think we'll get into that a little bit more. I'm wondering about optimizing all of the players that are on the roster, And where are the pivot points and where is the flexibility, right? And I go back to the formula of the championship season where there were two centers on the roster, right? And there was Anthony Davis. And all three of those guys played center over the course of the regular season. And then in the playoffs, things became much more matchup specific, right? Um. And the best way to play three centers is probably not to start with Anthony Davis at center. Sure. Because I think then it throws your lineups into, it it makes it trickier in order to sub those guys in, in and out, in my opinion. Those bench units are often too, like, Mark is not really conducive to the way that Vogel, at least in previous seasons, likes to run his second units. And this is true around the league. Those are normally faster paced units that Mark, for example, is not really doesn't really fit. And that's true of a lot of the really big, you know, the the big guys I was talking about earlier. You don't see a ton of that from from Adams and Aiton and those guys. Now, Aiton's obviously a, a starter and not a two shift player, but you're talking more like Mark in that JaVale role, right? Where he plays two shifts to start each uh, half, and then that's about it. So here's my thing in building out a rotation, right? And let's start with the starting group. I, you mentioned the three guys. And then I think you're going to need a certain thing at center and then a certain thing at shooting guard or on the wing. And then I think there's going to be two other primary lineups. It's the LeBron centric bench lineup and it's the Anthony Davis centric bench lineup. Mm -hmm. And then the idea is which one of those does Westbrook pair best with? In my opinion, when I'm looking at the roster as a whole and how to functionally build out a rotation, that's sort of my starting point. And so in talking about the starters, I agree with Mike is, okay. let's start bigger. Let's play probably Gasol there and you get some functionally better spacing another ball mover and connector rather than a finisher. Cause there's a lot of finishers already in that group when you have Russ and LeBron and, and AD. And then I start to think about who should start on the wing next to LeBron and what that should look like. And and so to me, that's a much more interesting question to me rather than who starts at center, because I think the center rotation is basically going to be two, two shift players who are the fives, right? That's Gasol and Dwight. That player, that other player can become a three-shift player, depending on how effective he is or what the matchups are or foul trouble. And then it's going to be, is it appropriate to close with AD at the five or is it appropriate to play a bigger lineup to close? And those are in-game decisions that are not going to be the same 
night to night to night. How I feel about this depends on whether or not we're talking about the regular season versus the playoffs. With the acquisition of Westbrook, it becomes a lot more important that if AD doesn't start at the five, that it is a floor spacer at that spot. I don't think that you could start Dwight per se, next to AD with Russ in the lineup. I think you the spacing issues become really difficult at that point. That said, I don't think Mark can play a ton in the playoffs, if at all, right? Especially in the West where there are going to be a lot of guards, Steph and Dame and, and uh, you know, Booker and, and Chris Paul. Phoenix specifically went out of their way to target Mark. And I don't think that at this point of his career, he has the perimeter mobility. So, Starting Mark, the purpose that that serves during the regular season is that innings eater that I always talk about, right? That a guy who will bang with the bigger guys. You save AD's body physically a bit while not completely sacrificing spacing. Once we get to the playoffs, it's it's really more of a uh, AD starting at the five type of situation for me than than Mark. I don't think he's a viable option. So that's where I'm at, Mike. Is the idea of like. Mark can help during the regular season, but once we get to the postseason, I really don't think he does. But you know who can at the center spot? Dwight. That's right. I think. So, and that's the difference between last year and now, to an extent, Drummond actually held up decently well as a, a defensively we as healthy. a starter against Chris Paul, Ryan, mm-hmm. Ryan's Booker coming up on. And, and that's the thing that Dwight can do except Dwight's going to be a little bit better for you on the other end where he's only going to set the hard screen and then roll to the rim and sort of stay in the dunker spot for lobs. And so this is assuming too, that Dwight is able to kind of maintain the level of physicality that he has these last two years, which I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for. Cause I think that, you know, like some of these other guys in that later in their career, they kind of figure out their body, um, how to stay healthy, how to stay in shape, how to stay light. And he's done that pretty well. So that's my the initial map that I have in my mind of the center spot is Mark starts the year, spaces the floor, at least to an extent. He, he the passing helps in that kind of a with these new players, right? Whether it's Bays or whoever, we're going to get into that, whoever's starting at the two plus Russ. And then you still are going to AD when you need. Then you get to the postseason and it's always on the table in the postseason for AD to just start right from the beginning. And hey, like this for this matchup, we're going AD at the five. Sorry. But in those circumstances where you want to stay bigger and you you are a little bit less worried in some senses about spacing on offense because you're more thinking about defense, then Dwight can start as well. Um, and even if that is the token first quarter, third quarter thing. I think Dwight could start. It's interesting because a lot of conversations I think we're going to have about this team are identity based and what is their identity. And we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about offensive identity because of the offensive players that the team has signed. Right. But Dwight and even contextualizing Mark in this conversation is really questions about offense, right? He's a floor spacer. He's a passer. Mike just said all of that stuff. I'm still not convinced Frank Vogel is going to let go of this idea that this is going to be a defensive team. Like, he's Frank Vogel. I don't think he's going to change up. I think you're right. And congratulations to Vogel on the extension, right? Like, but yeah, D, he's going to be, that's who he is. That's the coach that he is. He's not going to abandon that just because, in fact, Vogel's coaching, I want to do a whole pod on Vogel's challenge here because the talent on the roster really fit that, like, oh, I'm a defensive coach. I got rim protectors, but I also got point of attack guys. I've got guys who can be crazy in rotations, and we still do with AD and LeBron, right? And and Bazemore's got some ability on the ball, as does Ariza. Um, 
but it's a different team. And so the fact that he is that defensive coach, I would argue in some ways is even more important than it would normally be because we've got so much shot creation added to the roster that being good enough in that respect will be important. But that's my point too about leaning towards Dwight from an identity standpoint, potentially early in the game, even during the regular season. It might be our identity is going to be, we're going to protect the rim, right? And we're going to run. So those two things... Of all the big men and taking Anthony Davis out of that, comparing Mark to Dwight, if your identity is going to be protect the rim, rebound, and run, who do you think of between those two guys first, right? Dwight, of course, yeah. Of course it's Dwight. I think we could be viewing this through a bit of a biased lens, through a deficit, through the idea of what players aren't, right? Sure. We, We think Russ needs spacing. So let's give it to him. Let's give it to him with Mark Gasol, right? What if what Russ might actually need is a downhill role partner? And he's great with those guys. Daniel Gafford was fantastic. He made Steven Adams look like a legit pick and roll threat who's a wonderful player, but that's not really his game. Made Adams look very good in that role. So that's a good argument to be made there. So this is a little bit of devil's advocate for me, right? Because I agree with a lot of what Mike's saying. I just think that there's more than one way to scan a cat. There's more than one way to play winning basketball. And there's more than one way in order to adapt to the talent of super talented players. Russ is not a, oh, he only needs floor, like floor spacing. No, Mm -hmm. last year, the Wizards, Thomas Bryant got hurt. Very early in the season, he Only was their, 10 games. Yep. He was their stretch five. The rest of the time it was, oh, they picked up Alex Len. They had Robin Lopez. Mm-hmm. They had they traded for Daniel Gafford, right? It was all downhill role players, like rolling players, not role and role players, right? Both. And, and so the idea that Russ can't play with one of those those guys is that's not correct. It's the question of spacing around Le- with LeBron and AD. That is the bigger question and how it all fits together. I love the idea of just the power and the athleticism. Think about Dwight, AD, Russ, and LeBron in a starting lineup. And then, you know, you put somebody else in there. Maybe in that case then, maybe then you're like, all right, well, we're going to go with Ellington instead of Bazemore just because we're going to take the best shooter um, out there and who, just the guy who's going to for sure – have the most gravity, but you could even put a Riza in that mix. So you're, th- this is like the biggest, most athletic <laughs> lineup potentially in, in NBA history, at least one of them. But so just again, start from the bottom. So Russ, Ariza, LeBron, AD, and Dwight. And the defensive principles, as you guys just alluded to, are pressure high on the perimeter, force guys into the middle. And if it's not AD or Dwight, it's LeBron from the weak side. Like there's somebody coming over and like that is a really interesting thing to think about and I I don't know if I started off a little bit more conventional like you said Darius just thinking okay well it's Russ out there so you get some space from that five spot and and not only that because Mark also opens the lane for driving uh, and whether that's whether that's AD Russ or LeBron but yeah of course you could go the other way with Dwight. It's just about kind of what does what does Frank Vogel want to do? And, and the fact that Dwight came off the bench for the most part two years ago, right, had me thinking that that might might be the same again. But man, what a show, what a show of just fo- absolute force that team would have. Um, there are some downsides to that squad, but it but yeah. the power is would be insane. 
I'm so glad you brought up the uh, the Russ and Dwight combo, Darius, because that's one we've talked so much about. Russ is going to be really great for AD. Well, Russ and Dwight are going to be a hell of a combo too. But I don't like the trio of Russ, AD, and Dwight because I think that basically defenses are going to be a phalanx in the paint, right? Like we're watching 300 and they're just going to be trying to protect the rim and letting us shoot jumpers. And that's more to – like AD – can shoot but if ad is, is spotted up in the corner taking threes if you're the defense that is the most favorable version of ad that you get i love the russ and dwight combo with mellow though if mellow is playing the four spot or even if ariza is playing that four spot and you've got shooters and at two th- through four i think that's a wonderful combination because like you said darius that Russ is not, in fact, most of his career has not been around stretch fives and those types of players. It is those guys who can get downhill that have a gravity to them that he's also great at making those skip passes to shooters. So where I'm at, like, I I love where your mind goes on that, Mike, with like power at this position and then more power at that position. I, I do think there needs to be a little bit of spacing though in the trios that needs to complement that right and so i i don't like the russ ad dwight combo but if you get a shooter at that four spot i think that you can get a lot out of that it does get back to that initial thing we always talk about with lebron and ad give you so much so many different options that all yeah. of these like you could win with all of these different options right? we're For just sure. trying to figure out which the, which is the one <laughs> to best optimize and the only other point to add about russ playing with a, a diving big center is just watching your Shaq video, Pete, the other day, which if you guys haven't seen, go check it out, Lakers.com, Lakers Digital. Russ is going to be at the rim so often that when the defense really does slide over, he's got that same kind of drop, drop-off pass that Shaq was always able to get. And, you know, we think whether it was Kobe or whoever's driving into the, the teeth there. And that's the one thing where if he's got the space five and he's, and he's driving in there and he's wanting to dump off and nobody's there, right, then that can lead to some four shots and turnovers some stuff like that. So that's that's a it, that's one other way where it, it's good to have somebody with a nose for the basketball around the rim when you're playing with Russ. He's also somebody that creates offensive rebounding opportunities when he drives because he may drive to the rack and that he draws that help defender and he might miss around the rim, but he will have occupied your five. He will occupy your help defender. And then that means AD or Dwight or whomever is in that spot can come over and grab that offensive board. Why don't we go to break? I'm going to take over Pete's job here. Why don't we go to break? (laughs) Because I'd love to talk a little bit more of the concept of spacing and how who starts on the perimeter is going to influence spacing as much, if not more, than even who the big man is. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, as Darius eloquently uh, took us to break, uh, the more intriguing question is who starts in the backcourt next to Russ, right? There are several options here. You've got Kent Bazemore, as Mike has brought up a couple of times, who plays kind of that 2-3 spot. You've got Malik Monk. You've even got Trevor Ariza, as as Mike brought up as well. Um, I think that THT has an outside shot as well. I think that we're underestimating that. That said, the player that they're replacing is KCP. And we could bring up Wayne Ellington in this as well. There's been an untapped element of our offense, which is off-screen shooting, right? KCP's primary skills and and value were on the defensive end, and then just the ability to run the floor and hit spot-up threes. But he's not a guy who would very often come off of a wide pin-down screen or a stagger screen. Stagger screens are something that we run a lot of, where as he comes off of that, he's that threat to catch and fire and really burn you with that. We've got a couple of movement shooters in Ellington and Monk who very much are a threat in those types of circumstances, but you give up a lot on the defensive end. And I struggle to think that Frank Vogel, going to his natural proclivities that we were talking about in the first segment, is going to go with kind of a a one-way player at that spot, at the starting spot. So I think that Bazemore is the most likely candidate, but I'm Mike. I, is that where you're at too? That's I'm. I'm not entirely sure because he's not a guy that can run off of the staggers the way that KCP goes. But if Vogel has a choice between an offensive decision or a defensive one, I'm pretty sure the one that he's going to make. And that's where my head's at is just which of these guys have we seen give the most consistent defensive energy and attention, and that is one thing that Bazemore is good at. And now he's got he's not a perfect player uh, by many by any estimation, but he I think he's the closest replica for KCP in terms of energy effort, running up and down, chasing guys off screens, all that kind of stuff and getting up and down in transition and sort of running straight to the three point line. And the thing where I think he has a slight advantage is that he doesn't care like he's he'll he'll just shoot it if he's struggling. He's he's very willing to just keep playing that way. He's not going to make as high of a percentage as Ellington. He doesn't have the same skill set at maneuvering a screen at all of this, all of the things that you guys are, are so good at breaking down with the different variations of that in an offense. And that is where Ellington has a clear advantage, but Ellington's not going to give you the same defensively. And I think as we we're going to, part of this is going to be dependent upon what Russ is able to do from a defensive standpoint and how much, how engaged he is and what, which of the opposing guards he's going to take on. But I'm the simplest part of this is just thinking, all right, if Bazemore has a somewhat of an advantage defensively over the rest of the guys that you mentioned, then maybe that's where they go to start. But I am I think that this is a is an open position and whoever starts the season doesn't mean that's who's going to end the season there. 
we should see what Monk looks like in that setting. We should see even how Ariza playing down a position looks. We should see what Kendrick Nunn looks like. Like there, I was going to bring him up. Yeah, mm-hmm. like there, there. This is to me going to be a a fluid one. But I'm I'm just thinking about hearing Vogel speak time after time, and I think Bazemore is the kind of guy that he's going to like from an, a defensive energy standpoint. And if he's really struggling from three, Darius then that's those are the kind of things that you have to start asking yourself too it's are, are is this not is this not adding up enough and then there are other things you can go to but i'm i think this won't be the last time that we talk about the two the two spot which to me is the most open on this roster it is the most open position mike and i agree with what you guys are saying in terms of vogel and skewing defense Shooting guard isn't only the most open position, though. It's also the position where the Lakers have, I think, maybe one or two many guys. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of variety, but at least one of these guys isn't going to play. Yep. And and so I think you bring up a good point about THT's potential here, Pete. And I think it's from the context of I think Vogel sees THT as a shooting guard. Towards the end of last season, he, he had a quote. And I think it mostly went under the radar because it was within the context of, you know, the Lakers being injury riddled and and what they needed from their guys. But he called THT a shot creating two who needed to fill in for them at point guard. And and I think Vogel was basically saying he filled in admirably for us, but this isn't his job to play point guard for us. But he sort of had to. Right. So if THT is a point guard and Bazemore's a 2-3, and Monk is basically a two-guard, and Ellington's a two-guard, and Nunn is basically a combo guard who is a 1-2. That's a lot of dudes. You know what might change that, though, is if AD does start at the five. That was one thing you bring. I'm glad you brought this up because when we sign Ellington and Monk, for example, both of those guys coming off of the bench, they fill the sim- a similar role. They are both shooters. They're both twos, right, that that fill the same spot on offense. And usually, especially within our roster composition under the uh, under Palenka, the duplicate guys, there's one starter and there's one backup, right? And so there's a guy that comes in to fill that role. And so if you look at it from an AD will start at the five standpoint, which I don't know and I don't think so. I, I tend to think that it'll be Mark. But if they do start AD at the five, all of a sudden that opens up two positions, right? That it's not the five that we're talking about. It's the two and the three. And then all of a sudden, maybe it's Bazemore and it's Ellington or it's Bazemore and Monk or Ariza in the mix, right? So the composition of the roster to me is kind of a clue of the direction that they might go in. And THT all of a sudden becomes even more of a like, oh, he might be that shot creating two next to a Kent Bazemore. I totally think that Bazemore could start. He might even be the leader in the clubhouse. The reporting around his signing was also like, Hey, he turned down more money in order to come to the Lakers because the implication was he had sort of a promise of a bigger role, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that said, that was the same idea around Wes Matthews. And partway through the season, he ended up being the guy who was out of the rotation, right? And so some of this is going to be what were you signed to do and how well are you doing it, right? Wes was brought in here to be a shooter. That didn't really happen, right? And, and and so he ended up out of the mix because of that. My thing is, is that if Ellington doesn't start, does he play? 
I think it depends if AD's at the five or not. Because if you're stretched to to that point, right, where AD's playing the five, that opens up those two, three spots. I do think that opens up. If it's Mark starting, no, I don't believe so. Because one of Ellington or Monk to me isn't going to play. And Monk is a bit more dynamic. He is younger. He is maybe not as consistent as Ellington, right? But the tricky thing is, is that a lot of these guys are not going to get as many touches, right? And we're going to talk about this in a future pod about this idea of sacrifice. But I remember these stories about Steve Kerr when he played for the Bulls. And there was this great story, and I can't remember the name of the book where I read it, but the idea was Kerr had to sort of get used to the fact that when he played for the Bulls that he was going to be a reserve guard and that he wasn't going to actually touch the ball a lot. But the expectation was when you come in, you have to make shots. And so the difference in, hey, make all of these shots without ever touching the ball, that's like a hard thing for a guy to get used to doing. Guys want to be involved. They want to have a feel for, for, for the game, especially if they're a shooter. And so Kerr, when he would practice, like do his individual workouts, he would literally sit on the bench, get up, run onto the floor, and then, t- and then take a jumper. And it would be a sort of this, and it would be a part of his practice routine to sort of like, okay, sit down and now get up, run onto the floor and shoot. And it, it, to sort yeah. of train his body to get used to that sort of action. And just be ready just from jump. And so I'll be interested to see if some of these shooters, quote unquote, that the Lakers sign, how well do they shoot if they're not actually involved as much? And so I'm very interested to see how Ellington performs and how Monk performs or even how a Bazemore performs when basically you stand in the corner a lot and don't get a lot of touches and then say, it's just like, oh, well, you're wide open. You should make this. But you maybe haven't touched the ball in three possessions, four possessions. Yep. Right. And so it's it's a tricky thing. And so at shooting guard, you may skew more defense just because, hey, the offense may come come and go. And so that's why to me it is an open question. And who is going to perform best? Like I really don't know. That, and that's such a key point as to when you have not just LeBron and AD, which implicated all of the other guys that were thought of as shooters but just wouldn't get a lot of shots and wouldn't get a lot of touches. It's a little bit harder to get a rhythm. I think the guy that I think about affecting the most here is probably Kuzma over yeah. the years. Uh, but there, there are guys, as you said, like her, that that are figure out how to be specialists and come in and just hit the shot when they're open. The Timberwolves back in the day had the same thing with Fred Hoiberg, who it's like even if he hadn't taken a shot all game, he somehow would still bang it uh, when he came in. Like there are a couple guys that have the skill level to do that. And I do think that Ellington is one of them. Like he is he is a specialist to the point where whatever the circumstances are, he's worked on that part of his three point shooting. And so I do I do see him finding a way to get minutes. And I think THT is going to almost have to shift more to the three just because he can. And or in some ways, like he can play a little bit of, you know, backup one to the extent like if, if none and some of these things are going to take care of themselves, too. One of these guys is going to have an ankle turn. And that's the point where – and Frank Vogel, even when guys didn't have an ankle turn last year, he was sometimes going 11 deep. He was sometimes going to 12 deep. I, I think this year it would be great if they got to a point where it was a little bit more consistent back to where it was two years ago with the rotation. But it's just important not to forget 
the volume of shots that LeBron, AD, and Russ are going to take and how little that's going to leave for everybody else and why even these guys that are coming in with some level of offensive reputation or shooting reputation, they're going to have to figure out that defense is going to be a big way for them to stay on the floor. Yeah, if you're only taking four or five shots, you may be a great shooter, and your presence certainly has value, but there's no point as good of a shooter as Malik Monk is or as good of a shooter as Wayne Ellington is. There's no point where you decide, I'm going to devote more of my defensive attention toward them than any of the three stars. And so that the ability to step in and contribute on the defensive end makes me think of who's the guy that kind of bridges both ideas. And as we talk this out, I think Kendrick Nunn more and more of the, he's a better offensive player than Kent, Kent Bazemore, for example. He's a better ball handler. He is a fantastic finisher around the rim. Miami runs a lot of handoff actions where we always saw this from KCP, right? He'd be in the corner, they'd run that screen, and then it would flow into a, 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 pick, and, a pick and roll, essentially, off of the handoff between KCP and Dwight. And we'd see that lob play or he'd attack the basket or pull up from 15. None is capable of that pull up jumper. And when I think of the role that's being vacated by KCP, we always talk about role from the offensive standpoint, but defense has roles too. And Russ is more of a point of attack guy, right? He's going to defend the guy with the ball. Ideally, you don't want him on shooters, but you do need a chaser, right? Like I love over on a uh, B-ball index. Cran just has a bunch of defensive roles that I think really nails the different defensive jobs that are on there. And one of them is a chaser. Who's the guy that's defending the shooter on the other team that's coming off of the screens. That was KCP's job. And he was one of the great lock and trail guys, right? That's one of the defensive techniques that you use to chase shooters around screens. And none is the guy that he's like, he's an okay defender. Mind you, all of this is, I, I have a lot more tape to watch on all of these guys. So grain of salt and whatnot, but of the Ellingtons and monks and guys like that, who can shoot a bit, none is the guy that, that I think provides the most defensive value. And so I'm curious, like, where do you guys see Kendrick Nunn fitting into this whole equation? Because we signed him to our taxpayer mid-level exception, right? He wasn't one of the vet men guys. There was some sort of indication that we value him on a slightly higher level than the others. Well, th- that's probably what it took to get him to sign, right? That too. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and, and so, so, I mean, he was a late sort of um, – his qualifying offer was renounced sort of late in the free agency game by the Heat because they were concerned about tax issues and, and – um, and they're up against a hard cap because of the Lowry trade. Anyways, in getting back to Nunn from his skill set standpoint, I think that he's probably the one guard who could play with any other guard that's on the roster effectively well. And he mm-hmm. is versatile enough as both a ball handler and individual shot, shot creator and a finisher spot up option that he does blend the best, I think, across multiple lineups. I could see him playing with Russ. I could see him playing with THT. I could see him playing with LeBron and AD I, like and fitting in seamlessly there. He's also someone I think that you could play in bigger lineups where he doesn't have to handle the ball as much, but he could defend other point guards, right? And this is where Russ's defensive identity is trickier to me because ideally, if you play none next to Russ, you wouldn't want none defending the point guard. 
right? That he's smaller and quicker and he's smaller and quicker and, and is and it is less likely to be taken advantage of by bigger shooting guards, right? Which you need lock and trail against, right? That was the thing about KCP. KCP isn't the biggest dude, but he is 6'5" right? Like he's, he's a good enough size to defend shooting guards, but even against some shooting guards, we thought he was too small, right? And it's one of the reasons why his best role was in the title team where he was basically defending point guards and Danny Green was the other wing defender. And so I'm not necessarily jazzed about saying, hey, Kendrick Nunn, play next to Russ and you defend the shooting guard so Russ can defend at the point of attack. That's in terms of physical attributes. That's a great point. It's reversed. You want Russ defending the bigger dude because he's the bigger, stronger guy, but he's also not the guy you want to park off ball against a shooter, right? Which is why it might be better for Nunn to play with a THT, right? Or play with LeBron in a bench lineup. Imagine Nunn, LeBron, Ariza, Dwight, and right? Melo. And, mm-hmm. and, and Melo. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, okay, you've got defensive versatility like on the wing. You've got LeBron. You've got yep. his lob threat big. And then you've got Nunn as a secondary ball handler and shot creator who can defend point guards but doesn't have to handle the ball all of the time because that's going to yep. come down to what LeBron is doing. And so that's more of where I see none fitting into to this group rather than necessarily fitting in next to Russ or as a shooting guard, quote unquote, solution defensively. There's some similarities for me with none and Monk in the sense that they were both with just one team, Monk there for four years, none there for two. And neither team was desperate to keep them, which which but each of those teams had circumstances that you can understand as to why that happened. You know, in Miami's case, bringing in a veteran like Kyle Lowry and still having Hero and Robinson and some other players on the perimeter. And in Charlotte, uh, just getting a bunch of young guys. And so, like, there are there are reasons that these guys were available. And I, I just, I think that's always important to underscore. But there are also reasons to look at what they did there and have some level of excitement for what they're going to be able to bring, especially in a bench role. And especially, as you just mentioned, if they're on the court with LeBron and or with Russell Westbrook and with a guy that's really going to create some opportunities. So when I think about them, though, I also think about Russell Westbrook and how much is he how much of his game is going to evolve this year. And part of that's on offense, but mostly just on defense. And I don't think we can expect it to change that much, but I do think it'll get better um, in a sense. And I think that Vogel and then to a to an extent, LeBron, AD and just his slotting as the third guy. And if he can answer a lot of these questions for who else can be on the court with him based on what he's able to provide uh, defensively, especially. And if he's deciding to take a bigger challenge, just sort of because he can, because that's going to help them win more then that will make the difference. And it will, it will matter less. And then Vogel can have his pick as to whoever's in a better rhythm on the other end. Well, Mike, you always frame LeBron as being, super versatile players, right? Both offensively and defensively. They can essentially take on any role you want them to take on because they're that good and they're that talented. Russ is much more of a acquired taste superstar. His versatility is not as is not the biggest strength of his game. 
And I'll be very interested to see if he can become a bit more of a of a utility sort of like Swiss Army knife sort of player um, and take on a bit more versatility because that would amplify his usefulness across the roster. I'm not convinced that's going to happen by any means, right? And I think it'd be folly to think that that's coming, but but if he can take strides in that direction, it definitely unlocks more lineup capabilities across the roster. I'm not sure where you stand on on any of that, though, Pete. My mind goes in a few different places. So on one hand, I agree with your point that he's not as versatile as LeBron and AD in the respect that they are shapeshifters, right? Le- LeBron can be your big man. They're, we're going to see side pick and rolls with Westbrook and LeBron as the screen setter that are going to light, you know, that are that are going to light the league on fire in certain circumstances, right? That's a lot of pressure to be putting on the rim. And then LeBron will be your point guard, and then he'll be your wing or the guy that you're posting up on the elbow. AD has a wonderful versatility to his game on both ends of the floor. That I, I don't want to belabor the point, but from watching him a couple years, we're all aware of. So on that front, Westbrook is not a guy that is able to turn himself into something different. But within the player that he is, he's extraordinarily versatile, right? He contributes in all sorts of areas of the game. Now, sometimes those can be to detriment, right? But I think that we emphasize that a little bit too much, right? Is that Russ does, if you need Russ to wreck shop around the rim, that's something from watching tape on him to the point that I have at this point that – He's really an interior player at his core. Now, he will attack from the perimeter, but where he really wrecks shop is around the rim. And he can do that in a variety of different ways. Now, will he, on the offensive end, be willing to make that hard cut from the weak side when LeBron is posting up, right? Or set that pin screen or work out of the dunker spot or work out of the short roll. All of these things that are more associated with role players, right? Same thing's true on the defensive end that Mike was talking about. Will he lock in more because he has less usage, less of a need for him to be in that primary ball handler role on this team? We don't know. And a lot of that comes down to mentality. And I was fortunate enough last week to be in the when we signed everybody, right? When we did all the media availabilities in the in the room with a lot of the guys that signed. And this is when most of the role players signed. They talked a lot about sacrifice. Seven several guys did that. Several guys mentioned the word sacrifice. And so I think that with not just Russ, but the whole team, there's going to be a mentality that the Lakers are really going to have to achieve to get to where they need to go. We're going to talk about that on the next episode of the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen! Unbelievable. It's over. 
Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com